This evening we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 3. <sighs> this is a, a doer's chapter, a do-it-yourself chapter, if you will. And it reminded me a lot of, of James chapter, chapter 1, beginning verse 22 through 25, where it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does. And so this chapter here, it just kind of reminds me of, of how when people start coming together and start doing the work of the Lord. And, and again, you know, it's going to be one of those doer types of, of chapters. And, and as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah for the last couple of weeks, man, one of the things that I've learned and that we got to learn was that Nehemiah was just a cupbearer. You know, he, was, he wasn't this high official. He, wasn't, he didn't have this power or this sway or this, this fame or anything like that. He was a cupbearer, man. He, he tasted the wine for the king. He was like a regular old Joe that, that somehow was somehow in the presence of the king. And, and he had that relationship with the king, being that close with them. And, and, and he was a guy that, he had, that the king had to trust. And so he, he just was a regular old guy at work, you know, another day at the, at the palace, you know, and, and, and doing the work of the Lord. And, and the Lord had laid this burden on his heart where he had been praying and, and thinking about this whole thing that was going on back in, in Jerusalem. And, and as he was at work, he had this burden to fix the ruins and again, as I shared last week, it's like, you're a cupbearer. You're not a construction worker. You're a cupbearer. You know, unless you've done some construction work at home and here and there, and you're going, but even if you did that, you know, who are you to think that you can go and build the walls of, of Jerusalem? What gives you the right, what gives you the, the, the wherewithal to think that you have that kind of ability? The, these were great intentions that he had because the burden was huge these 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 are the kinds of of things that you're going like man that is big big beyond my capability but man i want to go be in the middle of it i want to be in the mix lord and to have intentions like that are great and that to have a genuine desire to do something about the situation at hand is great. And so thank God that, that, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer and not a politician. Because if he had been a politician, he would talk a lot about the situation at hand, but never do anything about it for the most part. Because this is what politicians do, man. They talk a lot about what's out there and what needs to be fixed. But then again, if they fixed it, then they have nothing to talk about or run on, right? And so they have to have these situations. And so thank God he's, he is a cupbearer and thinking this work needs to be done. 
and I want to go do it. And so great intentions are fine. They're great. But great intentions don't always get the work done. <laughs> and, our, and some people are okay with that. They're okay with talking about the situation, but doing really nothing about it. And it just makes them feel good inside. That at least they brought it up. They put it in the fort. They threw it out there, man. But they never really fixed the situation. Being a hearer of the word is good. But unless you put it into action, what you're actually hearing and learning, does a person no good. Not for the person, not for the people around you, that God wants you to be engaged into what the word is telling you to do, not just in your own life, but in the lives of others. Nehemiah could have put on a good show. He could have talked a big talk in this thing. Man, this is what, man I, I know this is what's supposed to be happening. And if he would have got up the next morning and did nothing about it, <laughs> it would have been all show and no go. <laughs> and he probably would have talked about it again. Ah, yes, yes, we've got to get to that. Um, but not Nehemiah, man. He, this, this man was a guy who was driven. He had this intention of going and doing the work of the Lord. And he really believed that the Lord was calling him to do this thing that was greater than himself. And he was willing to do it. And I just, I just love that about the, this guy. And what I love about this chapter, what I really like about this chapter is that the work begins. So many are coming together to get the job done. But what I don't like about this chapter is that there are so many people that have come together that have so many names that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> and man, you're going to have to bear with me, man, and show me a lot of grace here, man. I'll probably skip some of the names. I'll probably butcher some of the names, and, and it's not my intention. I just, it's just hard for me. This, this is one of the reasons I always kind of try to stay away from the OT, because there's a lot of names in there. But I'm going to try to get through it, you know. And, 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 and if you don't like the way it makes sound, maybe you go, hey, Pastor Z, let me read and you just preach. And maybe I'll let you come up here, maybe not. But I'll, go, I'll just hate you afterwards. It's like, you can pronounce every word, every name? Be gone with you. <laughs> Let's just see how I do, okay, peeps? Uh, chapter 3. Dear Lord, help me. Verse 1. And Eliashib, then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. And con they consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of Hundred, and consecrated it. Uh, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachur, and the son of Emri, built. Also, the sons of Hassanah, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with, uh, with its bolts and bars. Next to them was Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berachiah, the son of 
Mishazabel made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, uh, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to work, uh, to the work of the Lord. Let's stop right there. So I'm going to be taking breaks in between because, man, it'll kill me if I try to do the whole thing. So we're going to take breaks in between. And so there, there's this, the high priest, Eliashib, Eliashib, Eliashib. I will probably change his name several times. But Eliashib, it says that he arose with his brethren, the priest, to build the, the sheep gate. What I found interesting as I was studying um, this whole thing was that Eliashib just so happened to, to be the high priest at the time that Nehemiah came. And again, last week we were talking about timing and all that, right? And how God had Nehemiah there at the perfect time and he couldn't have complained, you know, four months earlier. It had to be at this time because of what God was going to do. And then he sends them and it takes them all this time. But at this time, Eliashib has been the high priest. And what I found interesting is that the name Eliashib means God restores in or in whom God restores restores. And, and, and you could only imagine that even Nehemiah, this whole time that, that God has shown him what's going on in Jerusalem, that he is praying, Lord, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And then he speaks to the king and it's like, okay, the ball's rolling. Now it's time for me to go. He's giving me all this, this entourage to go and to go to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem and he takes his walk in the middle of the night going, man, this thing is huge, man. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of rubble. And that next day, it's when he starts talking to the, to the Jews, uh, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the others to start uh, talking about the work and what needs to be done. And so you can imagine that in that time frame of those months that he is praying and talking, that he's asking, I'm sure he's asking, Lord, give me confirmation. Continue to confirm that I am in the right place. That you have brought me here to restore and to rebuild the wall. And so again, he goes out and he surveys all that. And the next day, it's almost as if somebody goes, Hey, Nehemiah, meet God restores the high priest. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Eliashib, I know what that means. God restores. And so it's quite interesting that this man is the high priest at that time. And so as they get introduced to one another, the work begins. And it is Eliashib, the one that, that's first and foremost who starts the work. Again, that he goes out and he gets the, his fellow brethren, the priest. And it says that they arose, or he rose up with his brethren. Again, at the end of the last chapter after Nehemiah had finished surveying the situation, he sat with these guys, with the priests, with the nobles, with the officials, and the, and the rest of the guys to tell them, this is what God is doing in our lives. He has called me to come and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so it was important for all of them to sit and listen. 
before they truly had time to rise and build. Their purpose was to rise and build, but first and foremost, they had to sit and listen before they ran off to do the work. Because if they would have just gotten there and, and hit the road running in, 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 in such a way that they didn't sit and listen and get the plan and get everybody together, that whatever they had been doing, it was probably going to, going to end up in vain. Because it was probably not going to have this cohesiveness of everybody on board coming together. Doing what they were supposed to be doing. Understanding what they were doing, and why they were doing it. And I think oftentimes when we have these plans in our heads and we believe that it's the Lord telling us that it's okay to go in that direction or to go in that direction, then it's really, really good for us to make sure that we're sitting and listening to the Lord, confirming things through His Word, and He will definitely confirm it through His Word. Now, I understand he will use brothers and sisters in our lives, pastors or whoever else in your life that can confirm things, but it better be in the Word first and foremost. That that is where we hear God speaking. It is truly in vain to press on if we have not pressed in first and foremost as we've been sharing throughout this year. Because it is in the pressing in, the sitting, and the waiting, and the listening to, to the Lord through His Word. Then we have the direction to press on, to, to rise up, to, to move, and to build. And it is, inv- it is vital. I keep on saying with the vision that we have for this and to press in and to press on, we have no business as, as individuals and even as a church to, to, press, to press on if we have not pressed in first and foremost. If we are being used out in the community, but we have not been pressing in, it will be in vain eventually. And so we really, truly need to be pressing in day in and day out in the Lord, in His Word, in prayer, in all of these things, so that when it's time to press on, then we're equipped, man. We're ready to go. And I truly believe that these guys, they sat and listened before they rose up and built. But now they were ready. They were ready and they were all together in this whole thing. We we, we don't know how long Eliashib had been the high priest. I'm sure if I did more research, I could have found out, but I didn't. And it could be that he had just been sitting and listening and waiting for the right time to rise and build. And I will give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Because maybe, just maybe, because again, if he is living in that rubble, if he has seen the walls that have, that have been thrown down for decades, again, I don't know how old he is, but if he has been raised up in Jerusalem, and seen everything the way it is. The temple is now built by, by Zerubbabel and Jeshua. It's been up for over 80 years. Maybe closer to 90 years. And he is serving in that. And he has to walk through some of these gates that have been burned down and torn down. He has been walking in and out of that place. He has seen the walls down. And for some reason, he never got the people going. 
To say, hey, why, do, why are we just sitting here? Why are we okay with, with what's happened around us? These are, this is the Lord's holy city. Why are we just sitting here doing nothing? But I will give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe, just maybe, this work was so overwhelming that he was waiting for a man like Nehemiah to show up. Who had the vigor, man. Who had the calling. Who had everything ready to go. And he, he wasn't going to be stopped. Whether these guys jumped on board or they didn't, he was going to go do the work. And maybe, just maybe, he was waiting for somebody like that. Because I think oftentimes we get in situations that we're going, man, I know what we should be doing, but we just can't do it right now. And other people are going, well, why aren't you doing it? Well, are you going to come and help? Well, I, I, I just can't help. He's going, I, I can't do the work all by myself. And maybe that's the, the situation he was in. And he was waiting for other people to come in to go, okay, now I'm ready. I've been waiting. I've been praying for this. I've been listening to the Lord. And now it's time to restore and to rebuild and to do the work that God has called us to do. Because there was a spark. <laughs> there was somebody that came in. And he needed a man like Nehemiah to come alongside of him and encourage him and lift up his arms to maybe now start doing the work that has to be done that God has called them to. And so they rise up and built the sheep gate and they consecrated it and hung its doors and they built as far as these two towers here and they consecrated those towers as well now we're going to talk about 10 different sheep now i had glenn give you guys a little pass out and i know i normally don't do that i think i even forgot my oh no i got mine um but i have it all right here and i know where i know where i'm going i got the big virgin Somebody went, oh, geez. But um, I, I get, just, get, just, just so you can follow along. I, I, I never do stuff like that. But, but we're, we're going to cover about 10 different gates here in this chapter. And most of them were burned down and, and, and were in need of being replaced with all new material. And this is, this is that wood that, it's, that, that he was asking for, the timber, that when he would come down, he would be able to get all the wood that would need, be needed for the gates. Now understand, he didn't need very much material, if any at all, to build the walls. All of the walls were there. They were just torn down. And they just needed to be repaired and, 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 and built back up. And the word repair or repaired, repair, repairs, repaired, those words, it's used about 40 times in this chapter. And, and, and what I got out of that, just those words, is the fact that God, He already takes what, what is already there and He rebuilds it. Again, He takes who you are, the, the, you know, the mess that you are that are just crumbling apart, and He could use those same things to build you back up. And that's what He does with the walls. The walls, they, they didn't bring in material from other places. They just used what they had right there. And so everything had been there except for the timber for the gates. And so some of the gates, most of the gates need to be re replaced some of them just need a little bit of repair. But the sheep gate, as you can see in, in your little graph, was way up on the north side of the, the, uh, 
the Jerusalem, the, the city of Jerusalem there. And it is where these animals were brought in, the sheep were brought into the city to, to, to include the, the sacrifice animals, mainly the sheep and, and things like that. The, 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 this gate was near the temple area on that side. And, and so it was only logical that it would be the priests themselves to make this their project, to, 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 to fix and to hang the sheep gate. This is the only gate in which it is recorded that they sanctified or they consecrated. They set aside, they dedicated it to, to the Lord in a special way. And then it goes on to tell us in verse 2 that the men of Jericho, they had come to build. And next to them were these other guys that came in to help them build. And what I, what I looked at this uh, was the fact that it wasn't just the people from Jerusalem proper that were involved in rebuilding Jerusalem. There was others that were being allowed to come in from other cities that had a heart for Jerusalem. They don't live in Jerusalem. They live in Jericho and in other areas. But they have a heart for Jerusalem because all of the Jewish people had a heart for Jerusalem. They, they, they wanted to see God rebuild it. And for some reason, none of these guys had been involved until now. And these guys are coming in and they're saying, we want to be part of the work. And it's understandable that, that these guys would want to come and help with the work. Now that it's starting to get going, people are jumping on board. Because when somebody has vision, when somebody has direction, when somebody is ready to get working, they're going, with or without you, I'm going to go work and I th- go, go do the work. And I think people often go, well, if that guy has direction, then I'm following that cat over there. Because I, I see which direction we're going. And, and it's easier to follow that way when, when people at least have some kind of a vision to say that's the direction we're going instead of you know 10 people going in 10 different directions and nobody knows what's going on now they have direction and it's interesting because again there was other people that we saw last chapter that wanted to help in the work and he says not in your life man because those guys were not on the same page and so the discernment that God had already been giving Nehemiah that there would be those who would come in and try to distract in the work and make it heavier or harder and come against the progress that God wanted to, to do. And so again, there was discernment. These people from Jericho, he says, hey, come on in. You want to help Bill Brostein? Come on in, man. The water's fine. This is the area that you're going to have. And so they go in and they start doing the work. And so we don't know, from, we don't know where all these people are from. But, but at times it does tell us in regards to their family or their, their, their place, their, their, where they lived. But we don't know them all. But one of the things I do like, whether I mess up the names or not, God knows these people's names. They are special. Their names are written in the Word of God. And so I feel bad when I do mess them up, but, but be that as it may, um, the, these people, I'm sure, are not in heaven going, oh, they're messing up my name again. They're just going, ah, I understand. I understand. And so these people, they begin to come, and, 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 the, and, and they're beginning to work together as one. 
And, and again, it just kind of reminds me of what the Lord says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the body is supposed to be working as one, not working against each other, not working in contrast to one another. We all have different functions, as we're going to see here. People were in different places. They had bigger, bigger jobs, smaller jobs. They had particular jobs. They had all these kinds of things going on, just like the, 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 the church whether it's a local church or the church as a whole, everybody has their part. And these guys are starting to come together and they have the same vision, the same purpose, the same direction to accomplish what God has laid out and desired for them. It wasn't about being known or being recognized. It was about doing the work that was right in front of them. I'm sure when they got there and they started getting their their positioning and stuff, I, I don't know if there are people going, ah, why, why, why do I get that part? It's like I think they just went for it and say, man, if this is what God has called me to do, then this is what I will do. Whether I serve in a prominent place or serve in obscurity, I will be fine as long as I'm part of the work that God is doing. And so they did the work that was right in front of them. And it's interesting because some of the people, they would be doing the work right in front of their house, right in, right in their little vicinity. And so you could understand that they would be taking pride in the work that they would be doing because they have to see it all the time. And maybe other kids are going, you know, growing up is like, Daddy, who built that? It's like, well, I did. Shut up, kid. You know, <laughs> I'm not a construction worker, man, but it was a work that was put before me. I tried my best, sonny boy. Jeez, man, get off my case. In other words, these guys didn't have to go far. The work was already right in front of them. God was going to use them right where they were at. And again, if there was walls of, of more importance or, or, or gates of more importance, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of conflict going on there. They did the work. In verses five through or three to five, we, we, we see that also the fish gate was laid uh, or, or was built, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. The fish gate was located just to the west of, of the sheep gate there. And it was in between or stood in between the two towers that are mentioned in, in verse one. And these two towers, um, they were part of the, the city's defense uh, system. And it was close to the citadel, the, the, the temple area. And the, the guards would guard the, 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 the temple area in that place and protect that northern part of the city. And, 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 and again, in, in reading, it says that that, that that portion of the city was more vulnerable than the rest of the city. So it was in that area that, again, they were open more to attack. But, but again, these two gates over there were, were kind of taken care of by the soldiers and stuff. And so this fish gate is believed that that uh, the merchant, uh, the merchants would bring their fish from the Mediterranean Sea, and it would be in that gate that that a lot of this commerce would be going on. Quite possibly, be, you know, maybe having some fish markets around that area that they would go and 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 
and be a part of that. And so regardless of whereabouts it was at, it was a key entrance to the city and a lot of stuff was going on. It tells us that it was uh, the, the, um, they laid the beams. This was the timber that Nehemiah had gotten to replace the gates and the doors that were burned up when it talks about the bolts and the bars, it speaks of the hardware that was necessary to put these things in place, which include the locks and the bars to keep people from going in and out when they weren't supposed to. And so there was times that some of these gates were locked and, 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 and you know, for the night or whatever and guarded probably, but they had this hardware that was on, on them. It's interesting because of all the gates, the sheep gate doesn't have or doesn't mention that it has any kind of bolts and bars or locks and bars, which is interesting. And then next to them with the, the Tekoites, um, again, some people from some outsiders, Amos, uh, that was his, uh, Tekoa was his hometown. It was about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. They came in and they repaired a section of the wall. And so these outsiders are invited to come and be a part of it. Uh, now, it does tell us in verse 5 that the nobles from Tekoa did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. In other words, not everybody was excited about this work. I'm sure that these nobles, they, they could be high officials or prominent people, that they were probably thinking, hey, man, we got enough work to be done in Tekoa. Why do we have to go all the way to Jerusalem? But some of these guys are going, well, we're going to go help. And these guys did not put their shoulder or stick their necks out, as some translations say, uh, to do the work. And so the, the people of Tekoa will also be seen in verse 27 that they take up another section to do the work. And what that tells me here, though, that these people were like, mm, we'll send other people, but I'm not going to do the work. Not everybody is excited about the work of God, even within the church. Not, not everybody's excited about doing the work. They're okay with other people doing the work. They're okay with people being involved. It's like, Maybe because they don't have time, whatever the case may be, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We're not going to give them forced labor. It's like, you got to serve, you know? Although sometimes it's kind of good. No, it's not. It's never good. We give them the benefit, and we try not to judge when they don't. <laughs> but again, some people, I, I've had people say, Pastor Zeke, I will give my tithes and offerings so you can, you can go do what you got to go do. I just can't. I, I just don't know how to do that. And sometimes it's like, well, come along anyways. Like, you just go on with your bad self, Pastor. And these people, man, these ministries, these, these outreaches that you guys do, go on. I, it's just not in them. Now, again, these people, whether they were just going, we ain't got time to go do it, whatever the case was, they didn't get to go be involved in the work. Um, not everybody was excited. Okay, let's go to verse 6. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of that guy right there, and uh, Meshulam repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with the bolts and bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jadon, from that place, Morathite, the men of Gibeon, and Mitzvah repaired the residence of the governor 
of the region beyond the river. Next to him was Uziel, the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmith, made repairs. Next, Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, uh, made repairs and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to him was Rephaniah, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedediah, uh, the son of this other gentleman, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattash, the son of that gentleman, made repairs. Melchijah, the son of Harem, and Hashab, the son of this other gentleman, made uh, repaired others, another section as well as the Tower of Ovens. And next to him was Shulam, the son of that guy, leader of half of the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. And so here we have the old gate, probably also known as the corner gate, as we see in your little graph that you're now on the west side of the city there. Um, it, again, it was on that west northwestern corner of the city, and some identify this gate as being the the uh, Mishnah gate. The Hebrew word for Mishnah is second quarter or new quarter, um, which Nehemiah in Nehemiah's day in that section the city was the Mishnah or the new quarter, and that gate led into that area. They have different now. Even today, they have. Four different quarters in Jerusalem and that particular quarter was where the old gate was at. The irony of it being the old gate, it leads into the new quarter. And so again, here we have a form this uh, of this old that, that is, you know, that, that we der- derive the new out of. And so we can't abandon the old um, because we need the old. And the old is significant in our lives because, again, it just kind of represents the steadiness of, of, of what's in the past. Not that we live in the past, but we can't just discount the things of old. They, they, they are there for a reason. Doesn't mean we live in the past, but we're going forward. And so this section, again, we see some of the outsiders involved in the work. We see there's goldsmith in there, also perfumers. And you're going, man, these guys are way out of their element, you know. But you have these these district leaders and even some girls, some young ladies who are involved. That They're going, Dad, we want to be involved. It's like, you're a girl, stay home and cook. And they're going, no, we want to be out there and, and build. And we, we, we're burly, Dad, and we can do this, you know. And so all of a sudden, it's like even their daughters got involved. And I just, I, again, I just thought, wow, that is interesting because, again, these people, some of these people were just totally out of their element. They were, they were in places that, that it wasn't their comfort zone, but they were willing to go and do the work. 
And they were willing to say, okay, even if I can build, pick up these big, these big uh, boulders, I'm going to push them. I'm going to do something. We're going to team lift. We're going to do whatever it takes. You know, I'm sure the perfumers were going, oh, it kind of smells around here. Here, let me, let me spice it up around here. You know, like, you know, make it smell better. I'm sure the, the, the goldsmith, man, that guy was probably like rocking it, man. Probably throwing a little gold leaf in there somewhere, you know. Um, but again, you had all these people that were wanting to do the work and getting out of their comfort zone to go and do the work that was right in front of them. Again, some of them were taking pride because it was right next to their house, right in front of their house. And so they were involved in this whole situation. Verse 13, Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Melchizedek, and the son of that guy right there, leader of the district of ben Hekarem, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shulam, uh, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, uh, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down to the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, not the one that wrote the book, he was the leader of half the district of Bethzar, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool as far as the house of the mighty. And so now we have the, uh, the valley gate, which now you're headed south in your little diagram um, towards getting outside the city of Jerusalem and coming into the city of David, which was just outside of Jerusalem area. Uh, and that the valley gate is where Nehemiah started his, his, his investigation in the last chapter. That's the, the gate that he had gone through to, to survey the city um, that we saw last week. And again, this is located on the southwest side or corner of the city wall, about 500 yards from the refuse gate or the dung gate. And both of those, they opened up into the valley of Hanam. Uh, the workers um, here not only restored the gate, but they also repaired a section of the wall between the two gates. And it is likely that that was the longest section uh, of wall that was built, about 1,700 feet of it. But some believe that it wasn't as severely damaged as other parts. And then you have the refuse gate or the dung gate, which is located in the southernmost tip of the city, um, near the, bull, the pool of Shalom. And it was the main exit into the valley of Hinnom. And that is where 
the city disposed of their garbage. Now, the Valley of Hinnom, uh, the word Gehenna, we get the word Gehenna from the Valley of Hinnom, and it identifies with that picture that Jesus was talking about in Mark 9.44, where it says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, which was a picture of hell, because there was always a constant burning, because everybody was throwing their not only their trash, but also their dead animals and stuff. And it was just a stench kind of place. Uh, And so it was considered the dung gate. And so I'm sure it kind of like smelled a little bit around there. But be that as it may, there was people that were assigned to that place. And I'm sure when they said, hey, you guys, you guys go take care of the dung gate. They probably said, well, that stinks. I don't know if I want to go do that job. Now, we don't hear that they had any kind of recourse about it, man. They just like, dude, I'm on it. Let's go. Let's go take care of that situation. But it was interesting in that area, in that general area of, of the Valley of Hanam, it is where King um, Manasseh had sacrificed children uh, to the king or to the idols in that same valley. And and also King Josiah, he came and desecrated that place by turning it into a, a heap of rubbish. And so again, man, he kind of turned things around. Um, and so, you know, it, it was important for a city to have a place where they could go and dump their materials, their waste materials. Um, and so that is where it went. I mean, this, this gate does not have a beautiful name to it in any way, shape or form. But it was a, it performed an important service nonetheless. And so uh, we go over to uh, where there was the fountain gate in verse 15. The fountain gate is now on the east side. As you look at the bottom there, it kind of makes a curve to start going north. But it is on the east side of the the um, the, the city down by the the, the city of David. Um, and it was just north and around the corner of the refuse gate. Um, and it was strategically located there because of the pool of Shalom in the city of David and where the tunnel of Hezekiah's tunnel is also at. The Gishon Spring is not too far from there. And that is the water that fed into, into the pool of Shalom. Um, the Geshon Spring is where King Solomon was also anointed. Um, the Pool of Shilom is also the Pool of Shalom, and it was near the king's garden. And so again, they get their water source from there. And this is the area, in that area where King Zedekiah, the last king of, of Judah, had gone in his attempt to escape through the hole in the wall to, to escape when the Babylonians were coming in. In Jeremiah 39, 4, it says, So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, that they fled and went out of the city by night by way of the king's garden, um, by the gate between the two walls. And they went out by way of the plain. Um, It talks about David's tombs and refers not only to David's tombs, but all the kings that were buried, all his descendants that were buried around him, all the kings of Judah. David was buried in that area in the city of David. The city of David is different from where the Mount, uh, 
the uh, the Temple Mount is at is just south of that. As you see your little diagram, the lower part is is the city of David where he had his place. Uh, the man-made pool could possibly be the king's pool or perhaps the lower pool that is spoken of in Isaiah 22.9 where it says, and you, uh, you also saw the damage of the city of David, that it was great, and you gathered together the waters in the lower pools. Um, the mighty, or the house of the mighty, or the heroes, is probably the barracks where a lot of David's mighty men hung out. Verse 17, After him the Levites under Rehom, uh, the son of Bani, made repairs. Next to them, Heshabiah, half a leader of half the district, of Killa uh, made repairs for his district. After him, their brethren under Bavai, uh, the son of that gentleman, leader of the other half of the district of Killa, uh, made repairs. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the leader of Mespa, uh, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the buttress. But af- uh, after him, Baruch, the son of Zebbiah, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress of the house of the house of Elishib, the priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, repaired another section from the door of his of the house of Eliashib uh, to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priest and the men of the plain made their repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasaiah, uh, the son of another ayah made repairs of his house. After him, Benui repaired another section of the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Pa'al, the son of Uzziah, made repairs opposite the buttress and on the tower, which which projects from the king's upper house that was uh, by the court of the prison. After him, Padaiah um, made repairs. Moreover, the Nephanims uh, whom, who dwell in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate towards the east on the projecting uh, tower. After them, the Tokaites, I'm losing it there, um, repaired another section next to the great project, projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. And so the, the, the water gate, um, not to be confused to what happened back in the 70s, the water gate led uh, from the old city of David up the Gishon uh, Spring up on that side, and it was adjacent to the Kidron Valley to the east side of it. 
Jerusalem was one of the few cities in ancient times uh, that was not built next to a, a, a huge body of water like a river or so. Uh, and the water depended on these reservoirs and on these springs for water. Um, the text does not say that the gate, the water gate was repaired, but only that the workers repaired the the gate or the walls that were adjacent to it. The Nephinims were the temple servants, and they were descendants of the Gibeonites who were made water draw, drawers of water back in Joshua's time. And so it was only natural for them to live close by and to work right around the source of water. Verse 28. Whew, I'm almost done here. Uh, beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. After them, Zadok, Zedek, the son of Emmer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, and the son of this gentleman, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs after him. Hananiah, um, the son of Shulamiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of this uh, Zelef, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam made repairs in front of his dwelling. And after him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of the Nephinims and of the merchants in front of the Mifkad gate as far as the upper room at the corner and between the upper room and the corner as far as the sheep gate. The, the goldsmith and the merchants made repairs. And so we have the horse gate that stood uh, north of the water gate adjacent to the temple area. And uh, this gate is where the wicked queen mother Athaliah was executed when uh, when she was kind of reigning there. And it says in Second Chronicles 23.15, So they seized her and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house and they killed her there. Um, God had warned the people of Israel not to trust in horses and or chariots, but King Solomon brought in so many horses um, back in the day, and they became very important to the nation's defense system. And so I'm sure that there were some stables near or around the, the, the horse gate. And then it talks about the, the east gate just north of that, and that was directly in front of the temple. And it is probably what is known today as the Western or the Golden Gate. Uh, tradition says that uh, Jesus will enter the temple or entered the temple on Palm Sunday through that gate. Um, I, I read something, I just kind of put it down that in the 16th century, that gate was sealed up with blocks and, of stones by the Turkish Sultan. Um, whatever his name was, the Magnificent. And, and so uh, it was the, the, the Turkish sultans, the, the Muslims who had covered up that gate. Um, and so tradition says that the Jews and the Christians believe that that gate 
will be where Messiah comes comes through, whereas Muslims, uh, they associate it with for future judgment. And then it talks about the Mithcad gate, also known as the muster gate, and also known as the inspection gate, which is located on the northeast corner of the city, way up on top there on, on the east side. And the Hebrew word uh, for Mithcad is a military, um, it has this military con- connotation and it refers to mustering up the troops uh, for numbering and inspection. So more than likely when when Joab was numbering off a lot of the military, it would have been up in that area of the city. It also carries a meaning of recruiting and inspection. Um, the north side of, of uh, Jerusalem was probably the most uh, vulnerable to attack, and so it was only logical to have the military in that area. Uh, this gate also carries the meaning of judgment, um, perhaps because the armies were gathered together to go and execute judgment on their enemies. Um, but Nehemiah brings it all back full circle in the last verse of our text here where he mentions the sheep gate and so he brings it back around i just totally think that again it was something that the lord wants us to understand that in john 10 um 7 through uh through 9 is jesus talking he says most assuredly i say to you i am the door which is also can be translated gate of the sheep all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So this gate reminds us, the sheep gate reminds us of the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And I think it's fascinating that Nehemiah could have started anywhere. He could have started at the valley gate because he was familiar with that gate because that's the one that he had gone in and out of. But he doesn't do that. He starts off with the sheep gate and he also ends with the sheep gate. Again, just kind of a reference as, as some of these commentators believe, uh, you know, Jesus being the Alpha, the, the Omega, the beginning and the end, that apart from him, there is nothing eternal or uh, that can be sanctified or, uh, yeah, sanctified. Um, again, nothing is said that this gate um, had any locks or bars because, again, it never was locked or barred up because salvation is free for anybody for the opening. And so I kind of want to just go through a few of uh, these gates really quick. The fish gate, after coming to the shepherd and receiving salvation, Jesus called us to be fishers of men. The old gate was uh, represents basically God's never changing, um, just like the word of God, it never gets old either. The valley gate speaks of growth, trials, humility, and service. Uh, Work is done in the valleys. The dung gate, even though it might stink, it does speak about the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, the fountain gate is a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing out of our lives. The water gate speaks of the word of God washing over us and sanctifying us. The horse gate 
speaks of the power and victory and the Lord's return. The East Gate speaks of his kingdom here on earth. The Myth, Mythcad Gate speaks of judgment, but it also speaks of the Lord's armies. And so we make a full circle. We go back to the, 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 shep, uh, the sheep gate because it all comes back to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Even in the OT, man, it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight, Lord God. Thank you for helping me through this to, to be able to read it, Lord. Um, again, Lord God, I know that I, I can't get these things all perfect, Lord, but I just thank you for giving me the ability to be out of my comfort zone um, and, and just reading um, like this, Lord. And so I thank you for that. But I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that, God, as we remember that you are the door, you are the gate, Lord God, we would always be blessed, Lord God, because you allow us to come in and find green pastures, Lord. And you feed us well, Lord God. And I pray that even tonight, Lord God, with this uh, section of Scripture, Lord God, reminding us of the work that you have before us, reminding us, Lord God, that there is always work to be done, Lord God, that Christianity is not a spectator sport, that we get to be involved and in the game. And that, Father, if we are willing to step out of our comfort zone, you will put us in the game and you will uh, use us to build and to encourage others. And so we thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm done.